who just knows this information? Do you know what I mean? This is what I, this is what I'm doing. I'm over here like on the Google rabbit trail and I'm finding out that some people just have the rabbit trail in their head and it's baffling to me. Welcome back to Privy. Privy is a podcast about bathrooms and toilets recorded here at this point right now presently from my home bathroom. I'm your host, Hunter Hoover. I love bathrooms. I love toilets. Um, yeah, and they're, they're a fun thing, you know. I think is what we're going we're gonna to find today. Uh, today is going to be a very history-forward episode of, of Privy. Um, and so as we get into it, one of the things that we often find with the history-forward episodes is that we have a lot to be thankful for in the area of, yeah, our bathroom situation and the, and the things that we get to use bathrooming-wise. So, uh, yeah, just welcome to the show. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you uh, for joining us. Um, a few bathroom things this week. You know, not a lot of, not a lot of crazy stuff um, bathroom-wise. Out here uh, in the Willamette Valley in Oregon, um, there's there's some murmurings of uh, turning back on all the mass things, and so it makes the whole like public bathroom thing a little bit different. Uh, talking to um, some folks, you know, there's definite anxiety about using public restrooms again with uh, everybody's favorite Delta buddy running around. So whatever, we're not doing that this week. Um. And, and, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, sometimes when we approach, um, when I approach bathrooms and I start, I, I have a list of like, oh, these are things that we're going to talk about on the show that, that are topics that have been in my head and I put them into a list. Uh, and sometimes you begin research for one of those and you get into the Google rabbit trail and you fall down the hole and you just kind of get going. And and this week, that's kind of what happened. Uh, this week's topic, it comes from one of those, like, chasing the rabbit down all of these Google searches. Um, and then the internet just gives you fun new information that you never learned. So in this case, I followed the rabbit hole where... Probably so few people have followed it, maybe more, I don't know, but it took me to Moscow. Yes, and not Moscow, Idaho. This week on Privy, we're talking about, and I'm for sure going to pronounce this wrong, so if I have any Russian folks who would love to send me um, maybe an audio recording of some sort to help me... Um, understand how to pronounce this word i'm going to pronounce it exactly how it's written and possibly adjust for uh the pronunciations that i tried to find but it is an acronym so it makes that a little difficult but um we're talking about gum or goom gum goom and we're going to take a trip to moscow russia together mother russia a brief bit of history here um, cause of course, what would, what would a good chat with Hunter sitting on the toilet, little bit freshly stanked, be without a, a, 
at least a brief history lesson about things that I actually don't know that much about. Yeah. So, in 1762, America's not even actually a country yet, uh, there was a coup d'etat, which for, it's a coup, um, also a phenomenal board game coup, but there was a coup d'etat against the Russian emperor Peter III, and if you hear that and think Peter doesn't sound very Russian, that's because Peter was born in Germany and had strong pro-Prussian leanings, which made him um, unpopular, for lack of a better way of say it, amongst nationalist Russia and nationalist Russian folks. And so, as a result, this coup was set up and completed by none other than Peter's wife, who, coincidentally, and as my wife informed me, quote, they did that back then, his second cousin, Catherine II. So, Catherine married her second cousin, Catherine II, married her second cousin, Peter III, but apparently didn't care for him as much as maybe it would seem. Because Catherine, or Catherine the Great, was instilled as the Empress Regent, Regnant, Regent, whatever, of all Russia on September 1762 after the completion of the coup against her cousin husband, Peter II, third, Peter III, Peter 3.0, Catherine 2.0, and would remain, Catherine would, Catherine would remain in her position as uh, Empress Regnant, Regnant, I don't know, I'm not going to quit saying that, we're going to quit saying it. If you don't know it, quit saying it. Um, but she would remain in that position for 34 years, which is back then when there's a lot of overthrowing and infighting and all this stuff, 34 years of rule is actually, that's a pretty good run. Um, and she was not like overthrown or deposed or anything like that. She passed away. Uh, and so Catherine the Great of of the all Russia, like that's where she was empress of um left behind this legacy where she began to establish and build up and make better many of the the cities and infrastructure in russia she continued to modernize russia and especially russia on the western front where it meets that like the western border of Russia meets eastern Europe. Um, she focused a lot on modernizing that. We're going to talk a little bit about why and appearances here in just a moment. Her rule is considered the part of the golden age of Russia. She embraced the ideals of the Enlightenment and continued to expand Russian thought and art. Good Catherine the Great, Catherine 2.0, Catherine 2, Catherine the Great of Russia gets a thumbs up on building up Russia. Good job, Catherine. Uh, but she passed away, like I said, um, and 16 years after her death, Catherine had 
built up the city of Moscow as one of the cities in Russia. That was what she did, remember? Uh, and she had put in a lot of infrastructure and built a lot of buildings. And, and one of the buildings that, that she had commissioned was the building of a huge trade center on the east side of the Red Square in Moscow. She commissioned a Italian man named Giacomo Corengi. Now, I think I did pretty good on that, but time will time will prove me wrong. Um Giacomo was a neoclassical architect. Um neoclassical, neo means new, classical means classical. That whatever. New classical. But he was commissioned and he designed this trade center to be built along the river in Moscow. So they build this huge trade center. And uh, Catherine the Great passes away, thus ending her, her time as Empress of Russia. And 16 years after the death of Catherine, the 1812 fire of Moscow burned down pretty much the whole city. Now, when I look this up, what I'll say is the 1812 fire of Moscow seems like a pretty popular and pretty prominent historical event. We're going to talk about in just a second. And when I brought it up to my wife, my wife uh, was a history major and she's like, oh yeah, everybody, everybody knows about Catherine the Great and the 1812 fire of Moscow. Like, yeah, whatever. And she's telling me like facts about it. And I was like, who just knows this information? Do you know what I mean? This is what I, this is what I'm doing. I'm over here like on the Google rabbit trail and I'm finding out that some people just have the rabbit trail in their head and it's baffling to me. Like I know plenty of pointless facts about Pokemon, but yeah, it's just different. Uh, and it's just wild. Yeah. It's baffling that she's like, oh yeah, this is it. But The, the 1812 uh, fire of Moscow was viewed as a key turning point in the campaign between the French army, led by Napoleon, and the Russian army in Napoleon's long campaign to move further into and take more control over Russian territory. Uh, and so, on the word that Napoleon was going to move into Moscow and thus begin a siege and a, a claim on the city, residents of Moscow abandoned ship. They got out of town and they took off. And Russian military and citizens and other, other ne'er-do-wells, I'm not saying that those people are ne'er-do-wells, there were other folks that joined in that helped this get out of hand, but they began to light their own city on fire to stop Napoleon in his tracks. Uh, and so they light these fires, and the first day of fires did very little to stop the wee-wee Frenchman, Napoleon. Uh, but as the wind turned and fire continued to spread and hop, it eventually moved its way to a position that was actually threatening to Napoleon's campaign and possibly even his life. And that idea 
of fires. Um, as I'm going through this, is is it's pretty real. We, you know, it's fire season out here in the Willamette Valley and a lot of the the United States. Um, and so, just another uh, shout out and thank you to those who are who are fighting fires out here, volunteer or otherwise. Thank you. Stay safe. Um, yeah, it's just a good reminder. But. As these fires began to burn and and consume more and more portions of the city, orders were given by Napoleon's men to shoot arsonists and folks lighting fires on sight. And after a week of things being on fire, just burning, a truce was raised between Napoleon and the Tsar. But the Russian leader Kutuzov probably, eh, I probably got that one. Uh, He had already escaped. He had already gotten out of town. Um, And by the end of the 1812 fire of Moscow, three quarters of the city or more had been burned completely. And with it, and and in the midst of that rubble, was the trade center that Catherine the Great had commissioned years before. What was burned, however, must, of course, be rebuilt. Joseph Bove, uh, an Italian-Russian architect. It's, I, th- I find it personally interesting how Russia is like getting many Italian dudes to come up and do a lot of this architectural like planning and stuff. I don't know. I find that very interesting. But uh, J- Joseph or Joseph Bove, an Italian-Russian architect. Um, he is also from that neoclassical movement, so cool. Uh, he was tasked with rebuilding Moscow after Moscow burned down Moscow. I know. It's a lot. And as they rebuilt and updated the city, trading rows, which I think are just buildings where commerce and trade happen, But trading rows were put in on the spot of the original Catherine the Great Trade Center. The center, these trading rows, would grow in size and businesses would come and go from the center over the course of time. You know, that's how these things worked. Fast forward almost 100 years. The Russian Revolution strolls onto the scene in 1917. The building, this this trading rose that had been built by Joseph and originally by Giacomo, uh, is now a real ship of ship of Theseus becomes retail store of Moscow because it's like if if we build the thing and it burns down and we rebuild the thing and then we give it a new coat of paint and we remodel it a hundred times more, like. Is it still this original store or is it not, but it still carries the heart of what this store is? And I think that's what's going on. But by 1917, when the Russian Revolution gets on the scene, it contained about 1,200 different stores. The place was huge. Also, it's a mall. Like, that's what it is. Um, And we're going to see that in just a bit. But after the revolution, during the new economic policy, the NEP of the Soviet Union, um, the NEP 
was this policy that emerged from the revolution um, and under the direction of old Vlad Lenin, Vladimir Lenin, uh, they nationalized and it is now called the G-U-M. Now, I cannot pronounce any of the Russian words that those letters stand for. But G-U-M, when it is translated, stands for what would in the English be the equivalent of main universal store. So under this NEP, this new economic policy that old Lenin put in place, um, much like other portions of the new economic policy, it sought to instill or use free market capitalism, but put that underneath state control. Now, if I may be so bold, saying free market and then saying that the free market is under the control of the state seems kind of like not a free market. That's just my thoughts. But this gum or goom or GUM facility was one of these state-sanctioned, state-operated, capitalist-posing commun- yeah, capitalist-posing facilities. The building itself was nationalized. It was what they called a model retail store owned by the Soviet Union. It would be like if the, the government here in the United States tomorrow said, we now own Walmart. And when you shop at Walmart, you're shopping from the federal government's store, Walmart. The goal in these... Uh, Places, um, these, these, these places that had these markets and under the NEP, the goal was to spread the the word about communism by using consumerism. Here's the problem: it didn't work. Uh, the the gum was later used as a large department store until 1928. So it it served as this national like state facility about 10 years. Um, and then Joseph Stalin converted it into an office space where the committee to discuss his five-year plan would meet. For those who forgot or are like me, never knew, Stalin's five-year plan was a plan for the USSR to centralize the economy. These type plans were, and maybe still are, Typical of many communist nations for gaining a central control over the market. So, Stalin, needing a place to hold his briefings, which probably could have been an email. I know they didn't have email back then, but like, you know Stalin's the type of guy that's that's throwing a meeting that could have been a letter. You know he is. Um, but he began using this large state shopping center for his meeting places to talk about communism. Uh, and that's, that's if man, that is symbolic and metaphorical, that Stalin used this shopping center where they tried to have consumerism and capitalism be used to highlight the principles of communism. And then he uses that meeting place to discuss his plan for furthering notions of communism in Russia. I'm neither an ec economist or a person who should really have a lot to say about metaphor or irony, but I do think that's funny. Um, 
the shop would the shop now turned office space would remain closed that's a big office space by the way uh would remain closed much after world war ii and it likely didn't reopen until 1953 interestingly the the gum the gum was one of those stores in the soviet union that at this time when stores were starting to reopen and do that stuff it could keep supplies in stock and because of this lines would form like woofy and people would flock to this shopping center because they knew that they could get what they needed there the even though the lines were long they knew that the the stores here had the stuff the shopping center would often in the 60s and 70s be almost converted into like this big center to showcase the benefits of a centralized and communist economy and state. But people would get sniff of this and they'd shut it down. It's like, no, 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 no. You're not, we're not doing that. Um, no. So when the Soviet Union drew to a close, the GUM was privatized and has had a number of owners since being privatized. And it is, it is now, today, in the year of our Lord, 2021, a private shopping mall, still called The Gum, uh, and it operates today. I'll, I'll try to put some uh, pictures on social for y'all to see this mall. But you might hear all this and you might be thinking, okay, thanks for the history lesson, Hunter. But number one, why are you sitting in your bathroom giving this history lesson? This is, this is privy. We talk about poop jokes and how many times a day we go to the bathroom. So here's the deal. If you, like I did, get on the Google rabbit trail uh, for the Moscow gum, one of the defining features, and I would say, me personally, Hunter, would say one of the crown jewels of this facility and what is is one of the most intricate luxury toilets that has returned from the depths of history nestled in a shopping mall in a department store built in 1800s Russia burned to the ground rebuilt here we are what a bathroom under the rebuild and in the imperial era of Russia the gum was completed and one of the additions that was made in the span of time between 1820 and 1890 was the addition of a very, very fancy bathroom. Now, to describe this bathroom, again, check out some social stuff for, for what this bathroom looks like. But the bathroom was constructed using marble and granite. So you're already rolling in big money, no whammies. Uh, and inside the space, which the the entrance is labeled a gentleman's room, in, inside of it is a leather couch, coat closets, other amenities for storing your things. When you enter, there is this like perfume and cologne thing, like shelf for sale. And if you've ever been to one of those bathrooms, I don't know if this is outside the States, but here in the States, every now and then you'll enter a bathroom that has this like weird, like metallic cage where you can enter a few quarters and you can get like uh i mean it's usual it's usually products for for 
uh, nefarious deeds. But uh, you, you can like get like maybe sometimes a little packet of soap or something out of these or maybe something like that. We'll, we'll give them the benefit of the doubt. But this is different than that. This is not like a little vending machine. This is like a case. Uh, it's enclosed behind glass and often an attendant helps you in purchasing those items out of the gum bathroom. The other counters, they're, the, they're this beautiful, almost red-colored marble accented with gold and silver instruments. Um, but here's the thing. Use of this toilet space and the very high-end amenities are, of course, much like 50% of all goodies in video games or more nowadays behind a paywall. It costs you the equivalent of about two United States dollars to enter the bathroom, though. Um, but they, they're taking, like, the standard rubles there. They, they're not, I don't know if they would take your American money. So, convert it over. Uh, the gum has a general bathroom, which is, of course, free to use. But it is not the famous fancy bourgeoisie bathroom. Like, bougie bee, you know what I'm saying? During the Soviet Union, in fact... The, the fancy bathroom was turned into a warehouse because they saw it in all its intricate stuff and people coming and going from this place and they thought it was too bourgeoisie. And they're kind of right. Like, because they will sell you in this bathroom luxury toilet paper if you visit today. Luxury toilet paper. And it makes me wonder, what is what is Russian luxury toilet paper? Like, is it still paper? Or have we upgraded to fabric? You know what I'm saying? Like, and it's still probably flushable. So do they have some sort of booty wiping technology? Maybe we need to be in the toilet paper race with them, not space. But, um, the luxury bathroom constructed in the mid 1800s in Moscow, Russia was likely left unused for more than 50 years in the time of the Soviet Union in the USSR. And it wasn't until the, the gum was privatized and the restroom was later renovated and tried to be restored to its imperial era Russian uh, vibes, if you will, um, that folks were allowed to use the bourgeoisie bathroom for really the price of a cheeseburger, a cheap cheeseburger, but a cheeseburger nonetheless. Another fun thing about the gum and the reason that a lot of folks go there besides shopping is it is one of the only Russian-style buildings left standing in modernity in Moscow, Russia. So, if you're ever in Russia, if you're ever in Moscow, and you ever make your way over to the Gum Shopping Center, you gotta use the Gum Bourgeoisie bathroom. You gotta do it. Like, you have to feel... I, I don't know. I don't know the word. But, you, but pooping in a toilet that is known for just like when you Google it, it's that fancy. You're essentially taking a dump in what is a museum to the struggle between capitalism and communism in Russia. Remember, they, they were building on this Western front and they're like putting up all this stuff to be like, hey, Eastern Europe, check this out. Look at what we got over here. It's something like it's something, in my opinion, worth voiding yourself over. You know what I'm saying? And when I see the couch in the picture of this thing. It reminds me of the time, like, I went into the ladies' bathroom at church. Now, I shouldn't have paused here, but I did. I used to clean. I used to do some janitorial. I mean, I still do janitorial. But, like, I've been doing janitorial duties most of my life. 
And when I when I used to do janitorial duties for a church, I went into this church, but I went into this this church bathroom and you know like I had been in obviously men's bathrooms in many places. And you know what like is never in a men's bathroom and I think rightfully so because I you know people are people are going to do something stupid on it and the guys are going to be dumb if it's accessible to them all the time. But you know what's not in a men's bathroom is a couch. And they had a couch in the women's bathroom and I was like for real you know, it, it was truly, you know, when you watch like The Office, um, yeah, there's something that happens in the back of your brain when you know that the porcelain is cleaner or the couch is comfier on the other side that makes you want to get on that couch. And it's like the only comparison, and this is why like I love The Office so much, is when you're watching The Office, there's these times when something is just exactly pulled out of your brain and it's like they perfectly captured what I felt. Um, and when the guys of the office discover the ladies' bathroom and they take over the women's bathroom, kicking it on the couches, reading the magazines, that that is exactly how I felt. I was like, why am I not just using this? I mean, I know why, because like I'm that ain't gonna go over well. But like, yeah, it's crazy times. I hope y'all enjoyed learning about that the shopping center and the bougie bougie bee there. Um yeah, watch some social media stuff for these things. And speak, like at PrivyCast, follow us at PrivyCast. You see those social stuff that I post there. Um, send us a send us an email. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, and would love to get to read some emails on the show. You know, it, it's fun to have that engagement uh, and and be able to hear from other folks sharing their their stories or just saying what's up. Doesn't have to be a bathroom story. Um, privycast at gmail.com. Leave us a rating or review. Five-star option is our preferred in your podcatcher if it allows you to. As always, we would love to thank Kevin McLeod for the use of Barroom Ballet. Kevin's music can be found at incompetech.org. is licensed under Creative Commons License Attribution 4.0. Thanks, Kevin. This has been another episode of Privy. Thank you so much for joining us. And now, as always, and as our new back of the door in front of the toilet hanger reminds me every time I poop in my house, don't forget to flush. <laughs>